Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done. This is Naked Pine. Naked Pine. M.I.P. With Masamela Matsumo. Mark Thompson. Naked Pine. Get woke. Ladies and gentlemen, you have heard me talk a great deal about an issue during COVID. In fact, uh, some of you who even follow uh, the morning prayer demic, the prayer call we actually, some of us are involved in. We've often lifted up those who have been sheltering at home um, with their very abusers. That's a real thing. Uh, domestic violence is real, and some people have been more susceptible, uh, especially during this COVID crisis. I'm going to introduce many of you, uh, for those who don't know, about to an organization that's doing some great work in that front when it comes to domestic violence in general, but especially now uh, in the midst of this uh, pandemic. Um, And we're very happy uh, to have with us from this organization, our guest is a director of service provider engagement and education at an organization called Free From. We're going to hear all about Free From and something that's in the Biden-Harris bill that's going to make a big difference in a lot of lives. So please welcome to Make It Plain, Tanya Ventura. Tanya, how are you? Thank you so much. And you did a great job with the name. I'm good. (laughs) I'm good. Thank you so much for having me. I was saying to Tanya, I I have un un poquito when it comes to little bit of Espanol. I can say a couple of things. Gracias. uh, De nada. Uh, It's a pleasure. It's a pleasure to uh, have you. First of all, let's introduce our audience in the first place to Free From and mm-hmm. what Free From does and what it's really all about. Yeah. So Free From is a nonprofit agency based out of Los Angeles, but we do work nationally. That really our mission is to dismantle the nexus between financial insecurity and surviving 
violence or specifically gender-based violence. I know that's a that's a mouthful, but what that pretty much means is that we recognize that domestic violence, gender-based violence, intimate partner violence, all those forms of violence have long-term economic consequences that make it very difficult for survivors to find safety and get to safety. And we're really trying to create solutions um, and bridge that gap in services so that survivors can have access to wealth, safety, um, and healing for themselves and their communities. Before I do, let's let's talk about the violence. We're talking about gender-based violence. Um, mm-hmm. So, and and some people think that that only includes certain demographics. Mm-hmm. But we're talking about across the board because even um, in same-sex relationships and what mm-hmm. have you, there is there's violence, correct. isn't there? Yeah, correct. And I'm a great example of that. You know, I'm a queer survivor myself. I am a cis woman, but that doesn't necessarily mean that this is only a woman's issue. And I think we do a great disservice when we think about this only impacts women because we're leaving so many people out of it. We're leaving men out. We're leaving trans folks out, people who are non-binary and so on and so forth. So, yes, you're correct. Gender based violence means honestly, I don't know. We need to come up with a better word for it, but it pretty much means any violence stemming from. Uh, that can be gender, uh, gender or racial or um, sexual based violence uh, from in that nature. Um, but it's it's a sort of imbalance of power and control that happens in a lot of these violent situations. And part of that imbalance comes from finances or lack of finances, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Correct. Yeah. And I think historically in the U.S. as a very capitalist nation, um, the way that our financial systems were were created left out a lot of people out of wealth, out of access to money, out of access to savings, so on and so forth, housing. So when you are experiencing violence, that access gets even smaller. So you lose your you can lose your job. You can lose access to credit cards. You can lose your housing your lifeline to community and all those, all those critical pieces. Um, so it really is an economic issue. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I, I think the only knowledge some people have of this, you know, people know the story of Tina Turner and how she left Ike. She tells a famous story. She only had a few dollars uh, or really some change, I think it was, in her pocket. And, and that's what Free From is also seeking to do. In a lot of these situations, people can't escape, right, Tanya, because mm-hmm. they don't have the means to. They don't have any money, right? Mm-hmm. Correct. And, you know, a person can seem rich on paper, can seem rich, like Tina Turner, great example, right? You'd think that she'd have access to all this money. But because of the of the abuse that was happening, that access gets controlled or that access gets cut off. And you're absolutely right. It can be a barrier to getting to safety. So even if you have left already or you are in the in the harmful relationship, if you think about what we use money for in this country, it's you know, to get to housing, to get to to get a car, to buy ourselves food, right? So without having any of those things, it can feel like you're trapped in a harmful situation because you don't know where you're gonna get the money to get to safety. Right. And so you all are helping to get direct cash assistance to mm-hmm. the survivors, correct? Or, or yeah. Really, 
or, or even while they're still victims, frankly. I mean, that's mm-hmm. that's the idea, correct? Yeah. While they're still in a harmful situation or whether they have left recently, many years ago, doesn't really matter. But just getting money to survivors. Now, the, the Biden-Harris rescue plan mm-hmm. um, addressed that, didn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the Biden-Harris administration pledged $5 billion in direct cash assistance to survivors, which is huge, right? And I think a lot of us who have been doing this work for a long time are very excited about it. But we know that sometimes when money comes from the government, there can be a lot of challenge to to actually access that money because of governmental requirements, um, you know, bureaucracy, all those things. And since Free From has firsthand experience in getting cash to survivors, we saw this as an opportunity to really think about how can the how can the Biden Harris administration think about distributing this money to survivors in a trauma-informed way that really centers what survivors need in this moment and beyond. Because of the access and relationship you have with survivors, mm-hmm. uh, you all are actually able to uh, produce a study, and I think you released it this past yeah. week. T- tell us about that study and, and what yeah. it look at. So before releasing the study, um, to give some background, we have given about 4,100 cash grants to survivors since the pandemic has started. So our first round was, I believe, in April. Um, and we have kind of had ongoing cash assistance um, grants since then. So we, when we learned about the Biden-Harris administration pledging these $5 billion, like I said, we had an opportunity to really help this administration understand how do you get this money to survivors in the best way possible and to the most survivors possible. So we compiled a report based on a thousand survivors who responded to a survey that we sent out about how how restrictions like typical restrictions that government aid has would impact their ability to access this money. So from those thousand survivors, we learned a lot of data around, you know, what are the racial inequities in accessing cash cash aid? What are the access issues for folks who are who are LGBTQ plus? who are Latinx, who are Black, who are Indigenous, and really understanding, you know, how these restrictions can can be harmful. Um, even though they have a lot of good intention, they can be harmful in, in actually getting the support that folks need, um, like cash, cash assistance. What, what, well, first of all, you all, given cash assistance, you said over 4,000 people. Yeah. It, it, so when, when, you, when cash assistance is given, um, mm-hmm. To those in these domestic violence situations, is there is there a fixed number, a fixed mm-hmm. amount that you give, or is it based on need and and what people say they need? How does that work? Yeah, so we did ask folks how much they needed, but we each grant was the maximum you can receive was two hundred and fifty dollars. So some folks just needed fifty dollars, some needed the full two fifty, um, but some folks did apply for every round that we. Uh, that we open. So we open in rounds and then when the money goes, we fundraise again and then we open it again. Um, So some folks did get multiple rounds, um, but each round was, I think the average grant we gave was $244. So, so if you don't mind me asking, how, what is, what have you found based on the study of your experience Mm -hmm. way for people to get that direct money? Mm -hmm. How can that be transmitted? Yeah. 
So we have a whole seven steps that I will, I think will take longer than we have today, but I'll mention some of, I think, the most important ones from those seven, but definitely check out our report. You can find it on our website for full details. Um, but I think one of the most um, high level things that we learned was that 71% of survivors were not seeking support from a traditional domestic violence or sexual assault agency. And I think a lot of us who are not part of this world think that, you know, this is only a problem that needs to be solved by like domestic violence shelters or sexual assault shelters or whatever it may be. When in reality, I think as a community, we all have a piece to do in solving this issue. Um, and it doesn't need to just get stuck in the domestic, the anti-domestic violence movement, you know. So 71% is a lot of people on the, in, in this country who don't feel comfortable going to like where people traditionally go to seek services for, 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 um, for experiencing domestic violence or sexual assault. So what this means is that, you know, this money needs to be available in more places. So not just you have to go to a shelter to, apply for this money and get this money. Um, it also means that as a, as a government, there needs to be more funding for other types of agencies. So for example, people who were BIPOC and indigenous and LGBTQ um, preferred going to agencies that were uh, community or cultural based. So that means like going to like an LGBT center or a Latinx center or whatever it may be. Um, versus going to a traditional domestic violence shelter because they felt safer in those places. So I think, you know, it's something shocking to sit with as, as people who work in the movement that certain people don't feel comfortable coming to our agencies, but it's important to name that and to name that cash assistance and this money that, that this, that this administration has pledged needs to go to more, more community based agencies outside of just the domestic violence and sexual assault space. I was just looking a little bit at the report, and, and that's important because there's still among some the, I guess, the perception or the confinement in this space that this is, as you said, for lack of a better word, the, the traditional cases, or this, these are just women. It's just mm -hmm. women, and it's and it's in heterosexual situations, woman and man. But as you said, it's it's a lot broader than that. Uh, do you think the administration is getting that message from you, do you think they're hearing that message well? I think so, because they are starting to quote this report as they're, yeah. as they're putting out um, information about what they're doing. And, and it's not just the Biden-Harris administration. I think it's local governments as well, um, specifically governments who are looking to fill the gap between, you know, the stimulus check is not enough, a one-time stimulus check is not enough, and right. folks really need more cash infusions in this moment. So I think data like this really supports the idea that cash is the best way to help folks in a lot of challenging situations like COVID, like folks who are experiencing violence. Um, so even though this data is specifically just about survivors, I think many government officials and actors are really paying attention to what is happening in this space. That is very important. I noticed the report and folks, you can... Uh go to freefirm.org and you can see the report itself and, and read what it has to say. Another area here, in addition, as you mentioned, to earmarking a certain percentage of cash assistance funding for organizations supporting LBGTQIA and um, mm -hmm. Black, Indigenous, People of Color folks, give survivors options for how to receive 
cash assistance. Mm-hmm. So what, do you, what do you mean by that? How I mean, how easy is it to get that? I mean, everybody, I assume, doesn't have a bank account. I mean, so you know, what are the ways? Uh, I mean, fortunately, we have things now like Cash App, but will the government mm-hmm. use something like that? I'm just curious. How does that? And do you does free from do that? I mean, when you all yeah. are, are dispersing money, what are some of the ways you found most mm-hmm. to get it to people? Yeah. So I think you hit on something really important that a lot of people don't ha- aren't banked, right? And specifically survivors, a lot of the economic abuse that happens happens within traditional banking systems. So a lot of survivors don't have access to a safe bank account. And then we also learn that a lot of people who are BIPOC are more likely to not have access to a, a bank account than folks who are not BIPOC. So already there, we have an access issue, right, of who, who can access these traditional banking systems. Um, free from the way that we distributed funds is we allowed survivors to self-select what was the safest, and that's the key word, right, safest way to get cash. Um, because, again, safety looks different for everybody. And we are not anybody to tell somebody, like, what method is the safest. They really are adults and they can make the best decisions for themselves. So we offered PayPal, we offered checks in the mail, we offered direct deposit, we offered Venmo, Cash App, JPay for folks who were incarcerated. Um, we offered a variety of options because we know that safety is not a one size fits all thing. And we really had to provide folks with a lot of options. Whether governments will do this or not is is up in the air. So we hope that they listened. I think we learned a lot from the stimulus checks um, and how many survivors were coerced out of receiving their stimulus checks by the person that's causing them harm. So a lot of survivors, you know, didn't get that stimulus check or that stimulus check was stolen or they never got to see it. Or like they knew it was deposited into their bank account, but they never got to see it. Um, so I think the government has a really important role in noticing the flaws that happen with the stimulus check and survivor populations and really an opportunity to think about how can we safely get money to folks in a variety of different ways. More MIP after this message. Now, this $5 billion that the mm-hmm. Biden-Harris administration has earmarked uh, for, for victims and survivors, will, will, is there an agency in the federal government that's going to administer that directly? Or is this going to go to the states uh, mm-hmm. and then possibly go uh, to some of these organizations that you've outlined? How, do, how does that how yeah. do we know? I don't think we know that yet. Um, and I think they're still figuring it out. Like, I think right now it's just a pledge. And right now, that's why we put out these reports, because we're in a, a moment of planning, right? In a moment of strategizing. So we'll see what ends up happening. But I think what we hope for is that it gets dispersed in many different ways to many different kinds of ag- agencies and beyond. Um, like w- one Shocking thing we learned is that survivors want to get this money directly from the government somehow, not necessarily have to go to an agency to apply for it. So just I hope that they're listening and really starting to think about how can we diversify our, you know, the way that we have done things in the past because it's shown that it's not working. So that this money doesn't just end up sitting there and then next year they're like, we have to cut this budget because that's what happens sometimes with this aid Um, and just making it accessible so that it gets used by the folks who need it the most. So folks, the report, just, I just want to mention the name. If you go and look at freefrom.org, trust survivors building an effective and inclusive 
cash assistance program. Folks, this is, I know we don't have to convince anybody that this is necessary. <laughs> I mean, it, I, if yeah. any, many of you are like, I'm racked, like, you know, where has this been? Why have we never heard of this before? Oh my God. <laughs> so, uh, no, really. And that's what it boils down to is somebody outside is laying on their horn. I'm sorry about that. No, <laughs> no worries. But, uh, uh um, so, but you said something though a minute ago. I want to go back. I, 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 I wonder if others caught that. You mentioned people who are incarcerated that you mm-hmm. intervene on. So, it, it, uh, and, and maybe I'm a little slow. I don't doubt it, but I want to just kind of walk through that scenario. Are you saying that there are people who are experiencing um, a, a pardon or gender-based violence or whatever in while they are incarcerated that you that actually reach out for cash assistance too? Yeah, or a family member on their behalf maybe reached out. Um, but yeah, you know, a lot of people who are incarcerated have some sort of history with gender-based violence, either themselves or they grew up with it in the home. And we take a very inclusive definition to what it means to be a survivor. So for example, if you grew up in a home where your parents were maybe in a domestic violence situation, you are a survivor to us. And you also have long-term trauma and long-term financial implications of experiencing that as a child. So folks who are incarcerated can absolutely be survivors, whether that happened earlier in their life or it's happening actively while they're in there. Um, we we acknowledge that and we see them and also offer support to them. Yeah, well, I was wondering if, if for those for whom it's happening actively while they're in there. I mean, you're in a in an, in an institution that's supposed to be governed and safe. I mean, that says a lot. If you're hearing from people. That means that institution is not protecting the people in that institution. Yeah. You know, I yeah. mean, that's trouble. That, yeah. That's troubling. And then, and then, I mean, I don't want to go too far into it, but it's just like, okay, if, if you get, if they need cash assistance, I don't know how that helps them get out of the situation they're in while they're in that institution. Because cash assistance doesn't necessarily get them out of jail, right? I mean, it doesn't get them out mm-hmm. of there. Yeah. So that, that's, yeah, well, that, that's a whole yeah. That's, that's everything. Yeah. 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 But I think, I think at the core, it's like going back to the title of this report, we got to trust survivors. And I think there's a deep mistrust in what survivors are doing. Is their experience real? Do they actually need this money? And we waste so much time and resources worrying about that. When if we just listened and trusted survivors, when they tell us what they need, what they're experiencing, I think we would be years ahead of where we are right now in this moment specifically, in ending the, the cycle of violence for many people in this nation. Another step of the seven, again, we won't go through all of them, but here's another one I found interesting uh, in the, the seven steps, folks, how to build an effective and inclusive cash assistance program for uh, gender-based violence survivors. Step four, and, and so the, 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 the title of this step implies uh, by omission that there's, there's a problem. So it reads, <laughs> Accept letters from friends, therapists, and advocates and as sufficient verification that an applicant is a survivor. So by omission, that says that goes to your point about trust, that mm-hmm. you have to go through hoops to prove what they've been through. You're, you all are saying that any mm-hmm. other verification should be sufficient. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And 
I think one of the most common proof that that uh, a lot of agencies and also government uh, agencies uh, request is a police report. And we know from other studies out like from the ACLU that a lot of people, specifically survivors of color, survivors who are LGBTQ plus, do not feel safe going to the police. So that is that is, you know, an extremely harmful requirement to have to require a police report as proof leaves out a lot of people, a lot. And our survey found that 69 percent of survivors can't or do not feel safe getting a police report. So that's 68% of of all survivors um, can't or don't feel safe getting a police report. So we really got to think about, like, where does this need for proof come from? Comes from a mistrust in people's experiences. Um, And how can we create more inclusive ways? If we absolutely need proof, you know, if that is really what we need as as the government or whatever, um, then what are other ways that we can provide that proof to fulfill whatever requirements we need to on the admin end of getting this money out? Right. So a letter from a friend, a letter from a therapist, um, a letter from, you know, someone at your church, a letter from whoever um, to make sure that folks have just a variety of ways to prove that if that's what the government really wants. You know, in this pandemic, as things have gotten worse on that front, on the violence front, Lord knows mm-hmm. it gotten worse on the police front. I mean, we have less reason to trust yep. the police. Anybody does. I call it a police demic. So you got a, a pandemic and a police demic going on. Um, <laughs> do we have a sense, though, um, of how how widespread it is that people in this pandemic were forced to continue to be housed or sheltered or quarantined with their very, mm-hmm. with their very abusers. I don't have like a set number because it really depends from city to city and state to state. But I think probably a lot of folks who are tuning into this saw in their local news some sort of headline about how calls around domestic violence are increasing because of this pandemic. And I think we saw that happening nationally. Um, you know, and at the same time, a lot of shelters and traditional domestic violence and sexual assault agencies had to close their doors because of the of the closures that were happening. So it's like domestic violence was rising and places to go were decreasing. So as you can imagine, that's just going to intensify and make situations more dangerous for, for survivors. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, one other step I want to touch on, and that's this one also revealing something by omission, provide survivors with flexible, no-strings-attached support. By omission, some of these places got strings attached, don't they? Yep, they do, quite a few. (laughs) And I think, again, some of these are, like, well-intentioned, but we really got to ask ourselves, why do we want to put so many restrictions on money when it comes to survivors? So, for example, some places only give out gift cards to grocery stores. That's great. I'm sure somebody could really use groceries, but you know, I think there was somebody who provided a a, a a quote from this survey who was like, "I live in a rural area where there are no grocery stores, so a gift card to a grocery store is not going to help me." Or there's some places where um, you can only use it if it's related to housing, per se, or you could only use this money, or we have to write a check to whoever you're going to use 
Um, and you know, you get completely out of the, out of the equation, which a can sometimes out a person as a survivor when they don't want to be known, like they don't want somebody to know. Um, and B, I think it, it infantilizes almost us survivors and kind of tells us like, we don't know how to make our own financial decisions when that's not true. Or we don't know how to spend our own money. Um, And I think that that's dangerous to say about about survivors because I think it plays into this economic abuse that happens um, where survivors are told that they're no good with money, that we don't know how to manage our own money, that we don't know how to control our money or whatever it may be. Um, and when that's happening at the government level or at the agencies that are supposed to be supporting them, it's almost like a replay of that abuse happening again. Um, and it can cause more harm than good. Right, right, right. You're, you're minimized and discounted in the mm-hmm. relationship. Then yeah. you go to the doggone agency and they minimize and discount your own mm-hmm. voice, what you say you need. Lord have mercy. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's insane. Um, yeah. um, Again, last and this this the the final step it really wraps all this up. Ask mm-hmm. survivors how much they need. Trust mm-hmm. survivors uh, to do this. So you say the Biden Harris administration has been quoting your report. Yeah, and wow. other other uh, like smaller councils, um, okay. local level, state level um, agencies have been using this to advocate for some of this funding to come to them because I think, like I said, the trust issue just kind of starts at the government level. So the government level doesn't trust the people who are they going to give this money to. And then those people don't trust the survivors. So then it just becomes like a whole wave of dysfunction happening around money. Um, So I think agencies themselves who are trying to advocate for this kind of cash aid for the folks that they support are also using this um, with their, with their local governments to, to advocate for this. Folks, um, this is very important, and, and I'm very glad, as I'm sure you, many of you are here, about what Free From is up to. We invite you to go to freefrom.org, and, and let's explode some of these stereotypes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and for those of y'all who still think it's only women in heterosexual relationships, well, hell, you still ought to want to help them until you figure out it's other people too, right? I mean, so it, it shouldn't be discounted. Just because you think it's just one group of people. But the fact of the matter is, it's men, it's women, it's LGBTQIA, it's it's African-American, it's indigenous, it's all people of color, it's Latinx. Mm-hmm. Um, um, and I would dare say, see, I'm just going to say this. Things have gotten worse in the pandemic because, you know, these types of incidents, relationships become more violent and more tense when there's, when there's no jobs, there's no money. Finance has a lot to do with it. The frustration, the illness. We know that there, I've done shows on this too, Tanya, the rise in firearms during this pandemic. Mm -hmm. We're seeing in the past few days, the rise in gun violence. People are in some very dangerous situations uh, and we ought to be thinking about a way to get out. I mean, I I think it's good news that the Biden administration, Biden-Harris administration is is pledging $5 billion. That's a significant Mm -hmm. amount of money, isn't it? Yeah, it is. And I hope that they do it. <laughs> and I hope that it, it becomes accessible for people. Yeah, and you're right. So it's just, I mean, that's a big number. It's just a question of being sure people get are able to get to it and mm-hmm. that it's applied in the way that it ought to be. And they ought to listen to organizations. I'm glad they're quoting your report. They ought to listen to organizations like Free Fund 
this must be a theme this week. I didn't plan this. Yesterday I did a show with the American <laughs> Federation of Teachers. Watch this. And the whole conversation was about if we're going to reopen schools and deal with the pandemic, people ought to listen to teachers and educators. Duh. Mm-hmm. Talk to the people who are right there. If we're going to do something for victims and survivors of, of gender-based and domestic violence, maybe we ought to listen to the victims. Duh. I mean, that's just... So I'm just saying mm-hmm. that two days in a row, I'm you know yeah. trying to make an impression that we need to listen to the people that are mm-hmm. directly affected and impacted by this and, and who can make the difference. Uh, yeah. so I, I hope that'll happen. Um, so it, 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 you all releasing the report. It, are there other ways or forms of advocacy to make mm-hmm. sure that these victims are heard? And if so, are there ways in which mm-hmm. those listening may be able to get involved and support your work? Yeah. So for sure, check out our website. There's many different, we do more beyond just research and data. Um, I specifically focus on training folks in the domestic violence and sexual assault and nonprofit world understand how do you support survivors in a meaningful way around financial coaching, financial literacy and all that stuff. But we do a lot of work on the policy end. We have survivor led peer groups across the nation um, where survivors come together and support each other. So there's just a variety of ways that folks can get involved. Sharing this report um, with your local governments is will be super helpful or connecting if you are a person who has those connections, connecting them back to us. The more eyes we can get on this report, because this is truly a report of the voices of the survivors that shared with us. You know, we just put it together, but they're the ones who, to, who gave us uh, an insight into their experiences and we really want folks to hear them out and to see this and to advocate for what survivors want in this moment and beyond. Um, so uh, reaching out to me, reaching out to the folks that are on our team is the best way to get involved and helping us fundraise for for this for right. the safety fund. Um, we're actively fundraising to because right now the safety fund round is closed, but we're hoping to open another one soon. Um, and the best way to help us open it faster is to helping us with that fundraising. And the fundraising link is on our website as well. And you're actively fundraising now, correct? Correct. We are. What y'all doing? Freefirm.org. You, everyone, go and give some money today, right now. In fact, go to freefirm, free, freefirm.org because this is the money that will be necessary to help certain people get out of these situations. It's just that simple. Mm-hmm. So if you don't know what else to do at the moment, um, please go and give freefrom.org. That's very, very important. I'm going to continue to push that um, and encourage every one of you. To, and, and if it's, you don't have a lot, give, you all accept small dollar donations, don't you? If, if thousands of people yeah. give small dollar donations, <laughs> then that makes, that makes all the difference. Mm-hmm. You literally may be saving, uh, someone's, um, um, life and, you know, for the, you know, as a minister for the past year, we, we've had this prayer call every morning uh, on social media. And I've always lifted up those, even though I don't even I don't even know anybody in this situation, never met or talked to anyone in, a, in, this, in this situation. But I still lifted up those who were just the phrase I would use. We are praying for those sheltering at home with their abusers, you know, because mm-hmm. I, I just felt that in my spirit, uh, Tanya, that, yeah. you know, especially early last year. When you literally could not leave the house. Well, how, how do we know people are safe in the place yeah. they stand in and they can't go anywhere? You know, mm-hmm. and, and Lord knows the, the psychology of domestic violence. And you 
talk yourself in and out of leaving all the time. Well, it's a pandemic. I can't leave now. I just better stay. Mm-hmm. This is better. Yeah. And here taking this ain't as bad as getting COVID. No, 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 no. So what Free From is doing is helping people get out of those situations. Free From dot org. Read the report. It's compelling. Uh, Tanya Ventura has been our guest. Now, if there's anything that this broadcast can do to help or be supportive in the going forward, please let us know. Um, Thank you. If there are, because uh, you're right, the, the survivors are important. If there are survivors who want to talk publicly, even anonymously, we can make that happen. I think people need to hear when, they, when they're able to do it, what some mm-hmm. people are faced with and how urgent it is. So you and others, whomever, we want to make this form available for the work you do. Okay, Tanya? Thank you. Thank okay. you. I really appreciate it and well-received. And we appreciate any support and for having us here today. No, no, it's, it's, it's not enough just to talk about stuff. We have to do stuff. Yeah. Too. So Thank you. Folks, freefrom.org. Uh, check it out. Uh, share this broadcast. It's all on social media. Share with friends and family so they can know you can really make a difference. And I don't think there's been enough uh, 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 attention given to what people are facing, especially now in these mm-hmm. in this pandemic, police demic and everything else. Uh, and now a pistol demic with, with gun violence. It's, it's, it's yeah. probably going to get worse before it gets better. Let's save some yeah. life. Let's do that, y'all. It's, it's vaccine is one thing, but but we also need the, 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 the vaccination or the salve of people helping in this way. This is his own vaccine to get people out of these situations. So, and then she's saying people stealing folks stimulus check in a because that's one of the things that the money pressure and the money manipulation. Folks stealing people stimulus checks or getting the the, the partner stimulus check. They living off of it while they abusing them. Mm-hmm. No, 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 no. We got to do something. Yeah, we got to get the money back in the hands of survivors. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Tanya, thank you, my friend. Thank you. Thank you for joining us. Folks, we're going to end this live. Tanya, hold on for a second. We're going to end this live, and then I'm going to talk to Tanya a little bit. But folks, don't forget, freefrom.org. Tell a friend. Tell everyone you know. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for getting woke and listening to Make It Plain. Please remember to listen, like, subscribe. And wherever you get your podcasts, please give the show a five-star rating. And please do spread the word. Let's all continue to pray for each other during this pandemic and this police-demic. If all hearts and minds are clear... It has been made plain. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line. Prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early 
so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.